I don't think I've ever put a lot of pressure on myself to go out there and win anything. I've just always towed the start line wondering what I could do. It's about the experience, it's about being motivated and getting out there and meeting people and enjoying the event. That was Ailsa McDonald, and this is episode 81 of the Inspired Souls podcast. Hi, I'm Carolyn, and I'm a roadrunner. And I'm Kim, and I'm a trail runner. Welcome to our podcast, where we bring the communities of trail and road running together and explore the parallels between running and life. Elsa McDonald is a 41-year-old ultra runner who was born in Great Britain and raised in Nova Scotia. She currently resides in Cochrane, Alberta and splits her time between Cochrane and Phoenix, Arizona when she is not working two-week shift rotations in Northern Alberta as an Imperial Oil plant operator. You first heard about Elsa on this podcast when we interviewed her mother Morig in episode 72. Elsa has been an athlete all her life, competing at a high level in marathons, Ironman triathlons and ultramarathon trail races. As a relatively unknown ultra runner at the time, she outright won her first 100-mile race at Sinister 7 in 2017. Since then, she placed 13th at Western States in 2018 and 6th at CCC at UTMB in 2019. In this episode, we discuss how working two-week shift rotations and training in three very different geographic locations has worked to Elsa's advantage, the influence her mother has had on her running success the things she learned from her challenges at UTMB this last summer, and her goals for 2022, which include a return to Western States. Elsa runs for Saucony, and we are super happy to welcome her on the show. Elsa, welcome to the Inspired Souls podcast. Carolyn and I are really thrilled to have you on the show today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, I've wanted to have you on the podcast for a long time. Um, when Carolyn and I brainstorm guests, you've been on my list for a while. Um, I recently moved to Calgary and did the Sinister Seven this summer. And my first real life setting, sighting, sorry, of Elsa McDonald was um, in the middle of the night. I don't know, between one and two in the morning. I had just finished the 50 miler. So note, 50 miles, not 100 miles. And there comes Elsa screaming in to finish her 100 miler um, just behind the, the lead male in, you know, a speedy 18 hours and 19 minutes overall and broke her own course record by, I don't know, about half an hour, I think. And I just remember standing there in my exhausted state with my mouth open, just like, she just looks too good to have just want a hundred miler and broken a course record and it was a hot day and yeah you were in a league of your own there and um yeah I I'm really thrilled to to welcome you on the show and hear a little bit more about um everything that fuels your fire with running the other thing I'll say is that it's it's Carolyn and I were just commenting that it's kind of interesting that as we invite guests on the show, we get um, recommendations for other guests. And although you were on my wish list first, we ended up interviewing your mother, Morig, um, in episode 72, so a few months ago. And we didn't even know that there was a connection between the two of you until we started talking to her and realized that... Um, you were Morig's daughter. And so, yeah. So we now have come full circle and we're going to hear the Paul Harvey version, the rest of the story from you, maybe <laughs> on a few of our questions. Oh, um, oh, that's very cool. I didn't realize you didn't know that she was my mom before you inter interviewed her, but 
Yeah. Not at all. Yeah. Your names mm-hmm. are just slightly different the way you spell them. Yeah. And so we didn't put two and two together until she started talking about her ultra running daughter. So <laughs> I'm going to stop talking now and I'm going to let you just give our listeners a little bit more information about who you are, where you live, you know, what you do. Can you give us a bit of a context as to who we're talking to? Sure. Um, well, my name is Ilsa McDonald. I think we've already established that part of it, but uh, I was born in Great Britain. Uh, my family moved to Canada when I was a baby. I grew up in on the east coast of Nova Scotia. Uh, I lived there till I was about 20, and then I joined the military, and I traveled around a bit with the military before eventually getting close to Cold Lake, Alberta. From Cold Lake, I spent seven years there before um, changing careers, and now I work in oil field as a plant operator. We moved, my husband and I moved from Cold Lake to St. Albert, and now eventually to Cochrane, which is where we live now. We spend our winters between working up north and northern Alberta and coming down to Phoenix, where it's nice and sunny and warm. Uh, I've always been really active my entire life. My whole family has. You know, growing in high school, I was playing every sport there was going. When I got out of high school, I started running more, um, doing more independent sports like running and triathlon. So focused on that for quite a few years. Of course, I had, was always really active with my career in the military. Being physically active was kind of part of the part of the job, and I always kept it up. I think I've been an endurance athlete since I was very young. I spent a lot of time with my grandfather. Um, he took me to Scotland and we spent a lot of time in the mountains together doing multi-day backpacking trips and cycling trips. So I think the endurance was built into me from a very young age. As I got older, I just started to get into longer and longer sports before eventually getting into the marathon, which is something that I focused on for many, many years. Uh, the marathon and, and the Olympic triathlon. And then a friend convinced me one day to sign up for an Ironman and that's where I kind of discovered that I had a talent for endurance events and um, from there it kind of spiraled out of control between Ironman and Ultramarathon. (laughs) Whoa okay so you've given us a lot of directions we can go and follow up questions from here. Let's just come back to the Ultra and the Ironman uh, in a minute but let's go back to what you said about your first marathon. So what inspired you to run that first marathon? Uh, we know from talking to your mom that there was it was a significant weekend, a significant day when you ran that marathon. So what made you say, I want to run my first marathon this weekend? I had worked my way up to a half, uh, half marathon at that point in my life. And I actually didn't think I would ever go any further than that. And I used to, I remember I used to think that people who ran half marathons were crazy because before that I was only ever did like 10, 10K, 10 miles. And then this young girl that I knew through the military, she was quite a few years younger than me, but she was already running half marathons and thinking about her first marathon. And I just thought that this was really incredible because she was, she was still so young. And to me, that seemed like to have the the mental mindset and mental endurance at that age to run a a marathon, I just thought was was really amazing. And that really inspired me. And, And her and I had done some runs together. So when she told me she was running a marathon, I thought that's that's really inspiring. You know, I think you know if if you could do it, maybe I could do it too. Mm. So we started training together, and I was traveling back to Nova Scotia for my mother and my sister's wedding because they got married the same weekend. My mom was running 
quite a bit at the time and she hadn't tried the half marathon yet so we both decided that we would sign up for the blue nose marathon she did the half i did the full and my girlfriend that i was running with at the time was doing her first marathon on actually the same date as mine she did the red deer half or the red deer marathon so everything just kind of aligned time-wise so it just worked out so how did it end up going that first marathon it was awful um, oh okay <laughs> tell us more it it was really painful and I remember and I kind of expected it to be like I, I knew it wasn't going to be easy and I had never done anything in that distance before so I remember we had to do this loop through a park I wasn't wearing a watch or anything so I didn't really know how far we were but I thought as I was coming out of this park, I thought I must have done like at least 20 miles by now, like 32K. And then I came up at a mile marker and it was like 28K. And I'm like, oh my oh. goodness. <laughs> like, <laughs> this seems so far. And I don't know if you've ever been to Halifax, but it's super hilly. And you have to run over to Dartmouth. So you run over this bridge. You run over the bridge and then at the very end of the marathon, you run back over. And, it, and of course, the bridge has a huge arch in it. It's always with me on the bridge. It's a big hill. And it, it's just really <laughs> demoralizing. <laughs> so the bridge was, the second time I went over it was at like kilometer 38. I think I was pretty much walking at this point. And uh, I remember thinking, this bridge is the worst part of the marathon. And, and now, even to this day, I won't run a marathon that has a bridge in it. <laughs> oh, no New York City for you. <laughs> No, I am not doing New York City. I, there's like seven bridges in that one. No, thank yeah. you. <laughs> Traumatized. Yeah. Traumatized by bridges. <laughs> it's so funny because this is how it goes, right? In first marathons. Like that's why I, that's why we ask about the first marathon because like no one knows what they're signing up for that very first time, right? And so we know you've gone on to, you know, run like 20 or more marathons since then, including just uh, very, very recently, you ran the LA marathon, right? Last weekend in, uh, oh, just a cool two hours and 51 minutes, first in your age group, 11th overall. So fill in the gaps for us between like, you know, how it started and how it's going. Well, when I crossed the finish line at the Blue Nose Marathon, my first marathon, I was in so much pain. That I swore to God I'd never do it again. So I spent the whole week like really sore, barely able to walk. And I see that I like I got in touch with my friend who had run the Blue Nose or the Red Deer Marathon, her first marathon, and she basically said all the same things that I did. Oh my gosh, it's so hard, it's so sore, I'm never doing that again. My toenails are falling off. Like <laughs> <laughs> But when the pain subsided, it was like, wow, that was a really big accomplishment. I wonder if I can do it better. <laughs> right. <laughs> so by the end of the week, I had already started thinking about my next marathon. So I just kept signing up for them and I, I kept getting better. And on my third marathon, I qualified for Boston. And then, you know, that was an experience in itself that was really fun. And so then it just became this hobby of how fast can I get? How, how many places can I go? Because it was, we started to travel for races and I was seeing some cool places and getting to, to join some really cool events. So it was all about the experience. Mm -hmm. Then I won a marathon. I think I won the Edmonton Marathon. And my times were getting really quick. And then it became this, this challenge to see how fast I could get. So 
I really focused on the marathon for quite a few years and w- was getting pretty competitive in it. So there was that, that part of it too, the, the challenge of getting faster. You sound like a person, correct me if I'm wrong, that has a high bar for yourself. Like you really like to get the most out of yourself. So there was something maybe about that first marathon, the Blue Nose one that was like, oh, I think I can do that better. And then you kind of made that your mission to (laughs) try to do a little bit better and do a little bit better. But at the same time, these marathons were helping you to see parts of the world, right? And and go and travel and, you know, take in different maybe countries or cultures. So talk to us about, like about Boston. What year did you run Boston and how, how did that experience go? And where's been your PR? You know, you said you got yourself down to a pretty quick marathon time. So where did that one take place? So talk to us about Boston and then your PR. I've actually done Boston three times. So I did it in 2010 was the first time I ever did it. And that was probably the best experience. What I have found from doing the same race course more than once is that the first time is always the best. So I really enjoyed it. I had a goal time going into that one in 2010. I had a goal time of 3.15 and I ran a 3.12. So I was really, really happy. The entertainment along the course and, and Boston is, is just a, a party and it's something that every marathoner I think should experience. Um, I ran it again in 2016 and that's when my mom and I ran it at the same time. And the plan was for her and I to run it together, but I had just ran my PR marathon, which was in Houston that January. So this was January 2016. I ran a, a sub-245, and that actually put me in the elite field at Boston that year. <gasps> yeah, so I, I didn't want to pass up on that opportunity because I knew that was kind of a, a once-in-a-lifetime thing. So I ran it in the elite, yeah. and my mom ran in the crowd. And that was a completely different experience and it was really overwhelming actually. Uh-huh. Now I, I knew that I wouldn't be anywhere near the front of the pack because I'm running with like Olympians at this point. So I knew, you know, I was just kind of kind of going and run my own race, but what ended up happening with the women, the elite women start first. And then once you spread out, you're kind of alone on the Boston Marathon course, which is a really, really weird feeling. If you have ran it in the corrals and then you go and run the course in the elite field where you're in such a thin field and you end up on the course by yourself, it's it's really strange because you have all these people cheering, but everything is directed at you because you're literally the only person on the course at that yeah. time. So that it was a very different experience oh, wow. um, and a little bit overwhelming. So yeah. And did you like that more or less? Less. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. It was just overwhelming because there was so much screaming and so much cheering. And it, it was just, you were the only person to absorb it all. <laughs> so it, it felt like it was too much. And then, of course, I, I started to fall apart a bit in that race, too. And once you fall apart, that, I find that that cheering can be a little bit mentally toxic, too. So I was suffering a little bit through that one but it was a good experience I'm really glad I did it I did it again in 2019 and that year I did it with both my mom and my sister and we all ran in the corrals that year how many people can say that they have ran Boston in the same year with their sibling and their mother like wow that's so cool yeah 
Yeah, not very many. I know after doing Boston 2016, I really didn't have any desire to run it again. But then when my sister qualified, I'm like, okay, this is this is special. I need to do this one more time. <laughs> That's amazing. So you keep mentioning, you know, your family and particularly your mother that keeps coming up as you talk about your running story. What influence, you know, did your mom have on your desire to run as a young person and as an adult, as well as your perception of the sport? I well, my mom and I used to train a lot together. Not too much in in running, but when we were when I was in high school and stuff, we would walk everywhere instead of drive. We would go cycling, and we were always just a really active family. So I think you know navigating towards competitive sports was kind of a natural thing for for us when we all moved out and she moved to Halifax and was out on her own. That was what she did. She joined the run club and then she started racing. So I've moved to Alberta by then. But every time I came home, we'd try and find a, a race to do together. So it just kind of kind of came a, became a thing. And from a family perspective, I think it's brought closer, actually, because, you know, my, my sister and I planned race weekends, my mom and I planned race weekends. Like, and it, it just is something for us to, to do together, something we have in common. For sure. And I know when families excel at at certain sports, there's a temptation to think like, oh, it's just all genetic. Like you guys are predisposed to being good at endurance events or what have you. But you know, when we talked to your mother in episode 72, what really stood out about her was her mindset. Like her attitude was just so amazing and infectious. And I have to wonder how much you know, you pick up on that too. Like it's that whole nature versus nurture debate, right? Because your mom didn't take up uh, running until she was in her 40s, mid 40s, maybe even if I'm not mistaken. So um, you took it up a, a little bit earlier than that, it sounds like, but you've both excelled, right? In, in your own way with running. So what are your thoughts? Have you ever given much thought to that nature versus nurture debate? Uh, I hadn't, but I do think that plays a big role um, I I think maybe it's because when I was in high school like yeah I, I was in sports but I, I went to a really tiny high school so it wasn't nothing was super competitive and I think where we both got into racing so much later in life that we weren't used to the the pressure of of the competition so it wasn't about winning it's never been about winning it's about the experience about it's about being motivated it's about feeling good and getting out there and meeting people and enjoying the event like I don't think I've ever put a lot of pressure on myself to go out there and win anything I've just always right. towed the start line wondering what I could do and I didn't really ever care about anyone else and I think you know maybe that that was a part of it of us all getting into it a little bit later I feel like my mom is the same way and that probably serves me really well when it comes to the long distance Right, right. Because it can't be driven from the outside, right? It has to come from within or else like, how would you ever carry on <laughs> in an ultra, right? And, and continue to, to push, right? If it was all about the metal or, you know, and that was falling out of possibility or whatever, it's, um, you know, there has to be something in it that you're just curious or that you're wanting to discover something about yourself or, or something like that, more of the mindset, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Carolyn, you talk about, 
you know, the ultra mindset and, and endurance. So let's, let's move into that a little bit now. Um, you mentioned Elsa that you got into, you eventually got into triathlons and then ultra marathons, which is where you're currently really rocking it. Tell us about that transition into longer events. What led you into triathlons and ultras? Uh, triathlon was probably my primary sport at a high school, actually, and I kind of dabbled in um, oh. more the shorter distance stuff, like the Olympic distance. And when I moved to St. Albert, I joined a cycling club, and I started like my my endurance in cycling got better and better. And I, you know, kind of toyed with the idea of doing half Ironman, and then I eventually did that. And then I met a girl in the cycling club who had done a couple of Ironman and. You know, after we were friends for a couple of years, she decided that she was going to, you know, try it again. And she asked if I would be interested in signing up for her because she wanted a training partner. And those, I was like, the, the distances were just, they floored me. I couldn't believe that people could <laughs> do these three events back to back. I had no idea where, where to even start for the training, especially with the swim because I'm, I'm a terrible swimmer. And she happened to be a swim coach. So her strength is to swim. She's very strong mm-hmm. on the bike. And then I'm very strong on the bike. And my strength was to run, which was her weakness. So I helped her with her run. She helped me with the swim. And our bikes were pretty equal. So it, it was a really good balance. So that's how I ended up doing Ironman. And how many Ironmans have you done? I've done five. Five. Okay. Which was your favorite? Uh, ooh. I've done Kona, which is pretty, pretty awesome. Whistler was a really, a really great Ironman because I really loved the climbing on the bike. Uh-huh. Um, but I also did Santa Rosa, which had some really beautiful scenery. So it's, it's been a different experience with every single one of them. I, I can't pick a favorite. That's the great thing about, you know, like you mentioned, starting to get hooked on racing and and going to different places and traveling for races. And that's one of the beautiful things is that, you know, distances can be the same, but no two courses are the same. I don't care if it's road or trail. There's always something different about the courses and the places that you go. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So I'm really curious to talk to you. Let's just dive right into some of the ultra stuff right now. You are going to Western States for 2022. I'm so excited about this, uh, being that you are a local Alberta girl at least some of the time. So can you fill in some blanks for me here on, did you qualify for States with a golden ticket or what did you get in through the lottery for this year? And was it a deferral from 2020? Uh, I won a golden ticket race in January of 2020 and I haven't been able to cash that in. Yet. Okay. And was that, which, which golden ticket race was that? Uh, Bandera in Texas. Okay. Awesome. And um, have you been to States before? Yeah, I did it in 2018. All right. So what are your plans or what are your dreams or goals for, for this year? What, what is good your focus going to be as compared to 2018? To do it right. <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> yeah, what does that mean? Talk to us about what doing it right means. In 2018, it was my second hundred mile of course, Western States is super hot, and I, I went up way too hard and blew up early, and I finished in a respectable time, but I think I could have done much better. My first 100-miler, which was Sinister 10 and 26, that ended up being a hot year for there, too. 
So I knew I had to be my first hundred mile. I knew I had to really pace myself and with the heat and everything. I knew I had to go like extra slow and take some extra time at the gas stations and stuff like that. So, and I ended up winning that race. But everything that I did right in that race, I did wrong at Western States. So, <laughs> of course, <laughs> and I, I don't know why. I, I guess it was just the inexperience. And... Well, and it's a totally different type of race. And you talk about Boston and the people cheering, you know, Sinister Sevens, a little bit of a smaller scale, a little more remote. Yeah, do you think sure. do you think some of just the 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 Hollywood status that Western states has m- might have affected you? Oh, 100%. Like going into Western states, I had won a golden ticket in 2018 at Black Canyon Ultra, and I was kind of a nobody before that, but I showed up at Black Canyon and I won it. And I broke the course record. Of course, I came out with a golden ticket. And everybody's like who is this girl? (laughs) (laughs) Then everybody had their eyes on me for Western States and I was getting all these messages saying like, I'm voting for you for the win and like the online polls where it's like, who do you think is going to win Western States? My name kept coming up and I was like, holy cow, like this is the first time I've ever had a lot of pressure on me for a race and Mm. I probably let that get to me a little bit too much but Mm. um, I think this year where I'm going into it with a lot more experience, I can can push that pressure aside. Hmm. Well, that's that's super interesting because you were talking about Boston the year that you were on the elite start line and you were on the elite start line, but you were like, I'm not going to win. I'm I'm on the line with Olympians and, and yada, yada. But in this one, it sounds like almost the opposite, right? Like you were considered one of the favorites going in. And so that is curious to me how that plays differently on you, right? It's like I'm invisible versus like people are watching me and they have their eyes on me. So again, when we started this podcast, it, it's really funny. So I'm a, I'm a road runner and, and Kim's a trail runner. And, and I was learning, I had so much to learn about, about trail running. So I knew nothing like Western States. It did didn't even register. Um, so whenever Kim would try to explain it to me, she's like, it's the, it's kind of like the Boston marathon of trail running. And I'm like, Oh, okay. I get it. So my question to you, having done both is, can you even begin to compare and contrast them for us or list one or the other as a favorite? I definitely would choose trail now more so over road. 10 years ago, I would have chosen Boston over any trail run. But uh, as far as comparing the two, they're definitely on the same scale in their own sport. But yeah, they're... Are they even comparable? No, like really? Yeah. You know, is it a fair thing to say that States is like the Boston of trail running? Or is it, are they just totally not apples to oranges in any way, in your opinion? Uh, No, I think they are comparable. I mean, they're both very hard to get into. You both, you have to qualify for both of them it's a, a certain level of athlete that gets to go to these events. So in that, making it to start lines, you should take pride in that alone. Mm-hmm. So in that respect, yeah, they're definitely comparable. That's what I was kind of thinking. You know, it can take years to qualify for Boston and it can take years to not only qualify, but then get into the lottery in States, right? And Yeah. In the marathon, when I was competitive in the marathon, that's all you ever heard was, oh, I, I want to qualify for Boston. Everybody wanted to qualify to go to Boston. And then once I got into trail running, it's like everybody wants to get into Western States. Now, Western States is way harder to get into than Boston. Thank um, you. Thank you for saying <laughs> that. 
um, assuming you have the leg speed for both. Um, okay. So let's transition to another race that has always been hard to get into, but has now I think become even harder to get into is UTMB. So again, another race that you have performed exceptionally well in your first time there was 2019 and you had an incredible sixth female finish overall. Um, and then you went back in 2021. Tell us about UTMB, your experience there and what happened in 2019 versus 2021. Uh, well, in 20, 2019, I did the, the 100K. Oh, okay. The CCC. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So much shorter. <laughs> <laughs> Still in the Alps. <laughs> Still in the Alps. And yeah, I, I went in with a, a very relaxed attitude. I was lining up against some of the most elite athletes in the world. And it didn't really phase me. I was just, again, kind of a little bit invisible. And I didn't have a great buildup leading into that race. We moved that summer. We had a whole bunch of stuff on the go. I didn't get the training in. I thought I was undertrained going into it. And I actually almost canceled the trip. Mm-hmm. And then... My husband said to me, well, you know what? Let's just go anyway. Who cares if you blow it at the race? We're going to spend two weeks in the Alps. What's wrong with that? So we ended up going and ended up having a phenomenal race. And we spent the next two weeks just enjoying ourselves in Germany, which was great. So after doing that, I thought, well, and now I want to come back and do the 100 miles, which is more than 100 miles, 171 k. Right. And when the pandemic happened, of course, it the race was canceled in 2020, and then in 2021, nobody knew if it was going to happen or not, but I registered for it anyway, thinking there's no way that this is going to happen. <laughs> so I registered for it, and then I didn't think about it. And then summer rolled around, and things were starting to open up a little bit. We still weren't allowed to travel by the end of June. And then there was also some restrictions with my work, too, because I work at a camp setting, so we were a little bit behind the provincial restrictions so we still weren't allowed to travel with our with our work and be able to return to fight but then there was like the quarantine and everything so I was like okay this isn't happening so I signed up for Sinister 7 instead I did Sinister 7 and then about two weeks after Sinister it was like all the restrictions and all the barricades that were in place for UTMB were lifted and it's like wow I can actually go to this race if I wanted to so we do we went we took the chance and we went knowing that you know, I've just done a hundred miler. I was pretty burnt out. Wasn't sure how it was going to go. Give it a shot anyway. What's the worst that can happen? You spend two weeks with Jenna. So I got to the start line. I was having a phenomenal race until I hit about 128 in. The hundred miler is a little bit different because you start at 5 p.m. And you run through the night first. So through the night, I didn't have any problems. It was when the sun came up. It, I, I got that feeling like I'd just gotten off a night shift. You kind of feel drunk. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> and then I'm not really sure what happened. I had like a a mental low that I couldn't pull myself out of. Now, oddly enough, physically, I felt fine. But mentally, I knew it lay ahead of me because I had done the course before. And doing the rest of the course just seemed so daunting to me that I couldn't pull myself out of this slump. <laughs> doing 200 milers back to back was was really hard. That's something I would never try again. But like I said, this one, we were very unprepared to go to UTMB. It was a very last minute minute thing. Another thing that happened 
in one of the latest races that we, um, one of the participants fell and had a fatal injury. So that was really playing on my mindset too. So it, I was already mentally weak, I felt, going into that race. And I, I just all these little things just compiled and I just, I just couldn't pull it together. So let's, let's explore this mental exhaustion thing a little bit more. I actually finally gone into CCC myself for 2021. And yeah, I was so excited. I mean, this is a lot of people states is their dream race. UTMB is my dream race. And I thought I would start out with CCC. Let's be smart. Got in for 2021, had just moved to provinces, started a new job, kids in new, you know, planning new schools. There was so much going on that I actually, I didn't end up going. I didn't cancel. I didn't pull out. I just didn't have the heart to to cancel. I was, it did not start um, because I just didn't have it in me mentally. And you're telling me right now from what I hear from you, maybe I made a good call. Maybe I saved myself a lot of money going over there. But at the same time, I have huge regrets because it may be my one and only shot for ever getting over there. But I would just like to kind of yeah, explore the, the the mental energy one needs to do these big, big races. You know, you can be physically fit and you can have done all the right training, but if you don't have that uh, buoyancy mentally, I'm hearing from you, it, it could be a showstopper, it could be a deal breaker. Is that, would that be fair to say? Oh, 100%. Your mind will stop you harder than your body. Like, give you a good example in 2018 when i fell apart at western states my body was wrecked. i went out too hard and then i read lines on the first climb and then after you do after you do the first climb there's like a 25 kilometer distance and my legs were absolutely shredded by the time i hit kilometer 50 like my quads hurt so much that every step physically hurt mm-hmm. but i was not quitting my mind was a hundred percent Guaranteed, I'm going to finish this race. It didn't matter how long it took. When I got to UTMB, I had the very opposite experience where my body was fine, but my mind said no. So it was it was a really it was a bit of an eye opener too for my husband because he's seen me physically wrecked, but he's never seen me mentally get up like that. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And what were his comments? Well, he always kind of like he says, "Are you sure you want to quit?" And that's usually all it takes for me to say, no, I don't want to quit. Or, no, I'm not going to quit. But this time I was like, I am 100% sure I am not taking that step. Mm. Like, do you want to sit and think about it for a minute? I'm like, no, I don't. I've thought about it. I'm done. <laughs> so once you once you hit that point, there's no turning back. There's, and there's nobody to convince you otherwise. Yeah. Once you talk yourself out of it, you're just, you're done. So do you think you'll ever go back? Yes. Of course you will, because you're going to want to do it better again. (laughs) I plan to go back in 2023, as long as I can get in. Excellent. Oh, that would be great. So before we leave the the UTMB um, topic here, 
I could talk about UTMB all day, but I'm curious as to what your thoughts are with this new partnership with Ironman. Being an Ironman athlete yourself and knowing how the franchise is run, what do you, do you see this change or this partnership as a good or a bad thing for the, for the race series? I think there's good and bad. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of races suffered during the pandemic because they didn't, they were having to cancel events. They just didn't have income to keep, keep them going. So I think this partnership financially made sense and it kept the race alive. So I think that that is a good thing. I'm already seeing, though, the changes in the entry process. And now they're kind of gearing all the qualifying races are, are their races now. So it makes it really difficult, I find, especially for North Americans to get in, because now all the qual- most of the qualifying races are in Europe, which isn't... Yeah, there's only, I think, three in North America, correct? Yeah. 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 And the entry, it's not clear on their website um, exactly how the entry process works. I've had to do, I've done a lot of research so far and I've, I've had to like Google articles and, and dig up information from other places to figure out how I can get in for next year because it's just not that clear on their website. So again, I'm glad I'm not the only one on this. <laughs> um, you know, you're hearing about these world series races where there's only, you know, three on the whole Northern American continent, but then there's also races claiming their World Series qualifiers with points still, and do the stones work or the points? <laughs> so, anyways, hopefully it becomes more clear over time. I'm planning on just running and seeing how it all adds up. But at the same time, if it's a goal of yours, you really want to gear yourself towards those key races. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Well, you mentioned earlier that you have this shift work job, right? You go up North for two weeks and and then back and, and you're back and forth and your husband does that as well. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I'm just curious how, how does that impact your running? Like what kind of access do you have to being able to continue to train like normal when you're on these two week rotations and, and sort of what, advantage or disadvantage disadvantage have you seen it have on your training um we have a really good gym where i work so my training is all indoor training when i'm on shift now we work 12 hour shifts so i focus more on quality versus quantity obviously while i'm on shift because i just don't have that many hours in a day to spend training but on my days off it's like being on vacation for two weeks so I can train as much as I want. Oh. So days <laughs> off are like <laughs> are mostly about volume and adventures and um huh. so I, I I think it's been a really good balance. It was really difficult during the pandemic because the gym was closed in camp. So that right. added some challenges, but um you find a way to, you know, keep your fitness up a little bit. So I took my bike and my trainer up there and I did that in my room. I wasn't able to run for the longest time during the pandemic while I was on shift because we didn't, there was nowhere to run. So that was really hard, but I don't think I, I suffered because of it. Okay. So there's not like a transition time, like when you get up there to kind of, okay, now I'm in this new location and the routine is different. You just kind of, it's like shift, even shift workers that just like work nights and then they flip to days. I always hear them say like, no, like after they kind of, 
get in that routine, they can kind of seamlessly go back and forth, it almost sounds like. So I've been doing this for 10 years and, you know, I have my routine at work, I have my routine at home. So it's just a matter of, of switching from one routine to the other. Um, I'm used to it. So my body's used to it. I, I think I actually even see some advantages as far as working shift work in my races, because especially the ultras, because now like I, I work like a set of days and then I go back and work a set of nights. So I'm used to training at different times of the day, which is really helpful when you're doing things like ultra marathons and your body isn't in tune to starting exercise at a certain time of day or you know i'm used to going through the night and stuff like that so and and for eating as well <laughs> i think that's yeah. been a little bit helpful because my digestive system is, can kind of work around the clock where some people have to kind of dial that in before having to do an ultra marathon and figuring out how to how to fuel their body through the night yeah. that's a really good point i wouldn't have thought of that I'm also interested to hear, like, does your husband run and train with you? Like, how do you make all of this work with family life as well? Um, yeah, he does. Uh, he isn't quite as competitive as me. He's done a few Ironmans. We actually did our first Ironman together. He isn't able to do, like, really long distance running because he's had some injuries that kind of hold him back a bit. But usually when I'm getting, when I'm doing a trail run, if he's not crewing me, then he is doing, like, one of the shorter options. So that's been really great while we've been in Arizona because we, we do a bunch of races through the Arab Asia series and they always offer lots of different distances. So it works out really well. Now, if I'm doing like a big ton of mileage or something like that, he would rather crew. He loves mm. to crew. Oh, wow. You've got a keeper there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and now you said, so you're in the Rockies, you're up north. Or you're down in Phoenix, Arizona, where so like climate wise too, like things are very different, it sounds like in all of these different settings. So again, do you see that as an advantage? Like, okay, I'm going to just keep my body guessing by throwing it, you know, uh, all over the place in terms of heat, cold, day, night. (laughs) How do you see that fitting into this whole picture? Oh, I think that's been really helpful too. I mean, I'm going from a temperature swing swing up 80 degrees every two weeks. So, you know, like the winters up in northern Alberta are way more harsh than they are in the Calgary area. So mm-hmm. I'm dealing with those temperatures a lot more than I would if I was home all the time. And when I come down to the desert, like this week, it was plus 35 all week. So being out trail running, you know, you have to have to be prepared for that too. And I, I think it's really great, especially when you're doing mountain running, because you can be all four seasons in one day. (laughs) It's true. Good point. And I have seen all four seasons in one day many times. So, Well, you definitely, yeah, it sounds like your work schedule, many people might see it as a disadvantage, but you've definitely found ways to make it an advantage. You become a really adaptable, resilient athlete from climate to to diet to sleep to (laughs) fatigue to to elevation like all of it you can just pivot on a dime and um I can I can see how that's probably worked in your favor yeah Mm -hmm. definitely in the ultra scene for sure (laughs) all right well um we call ourselves the inspired souls podcast and we always like to ask our guests you know, some of those questions about who has inspired you along your running journey and why? Is there anyone you can think of in particular? 
there's many people who have conspired along the way. Mostly friends. Like my one friend who I ran my first marathon with. She was a huge inspiration. The girl who got me into Iron Man. Um, my mom, of course, has been an inspiration with all her accomplishments. Yeah, so a lot of close friends. As far as like people I've never met or, or people who have done really well in sports. Um, I always looked up to Ellie Greenwood when I first um, mm. started getting interested in, in trail running because she was just crushing it back then. And I just thought that was so incredible. So she was definitely an inspiration. Yeah, and I think I've seen somewhere uh, too that you're sponsored by Saucony. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so uh, I'm just curious to hear a little bit more about that too. So, what does um, kind of their support mean to you, and what's it been like working with them? It's been great. Um, I've always ran in Saucony, especially when I came to trail. So, when my name got out there with ultra running, I did have company reach out to me and 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 sponsoring me but unfortunately it wasn't one that I ever ran in their footwear before and I was like oh damn like I wish I wish I could get on the Saucony like that would be just ideal and about a year later I ended up getting on with Saucony I just had some contact with Saucony and and they were were building their trail team at the time so it was just the timing was right anyway it's been really great working with them they don't put a lot of pressure on me as far as results. Now, having said that, I did sign on with them just before I, we went into the pandemic and there was no way of showing your But Takes <laughs> the pressure off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But even when I DNF'd at UCMB and stuff like that, they, it, it, it wasn't like, oh, we can't sponsor you anymore. You know, like they, they took it really well and, and they actually promoted it a little bit because I, you know, I kind of um, put out there on social media that, I had like I mentally broke down on that race and and how it all unfolded, and I I think they appreciated yeah. that. So, well, it's the human, it's the human, not just the robotic athlete, right? They want that human story, right? Because that's what everyone can relate to. Yeah. Quick question: What's your favorite Saucony running shoe? Here's your chance. Uh the Paraguayan. <laughs> yes. Well, the Paragon for trail. I mean, on the road, I run in their endorphin series. I um, I train in the speeds and I race in the endorphin. Uh, the pros, sorry. Likewise, likewise, girl. <laughs> and actually, I just raced LA. That was my first time racing in the carbon shoe, and I was racing in the endorphin pro plus which is like a it was a very limited edition of the of the pro, and it was like even lighter than the regular endorphin pro mm-hmm. and it was just it, it it was so amazing to run in it was i really enjoy those shoes and, and what how did you feel it impacted recovery because that's where i hear it it's also helpful right it's like awesome in the race and you may get that extra minute or two <laughs> with the carbon shoe but then it doesn't beat your body up as much as what i've heard yeah no i totally agree with that um I used to suffer from Achilles tendonitis because I used to run in more of a racing flat. And ever since switching to the endorphin series, which are an eight mil drop and have more cushion, I have never had any sort of issue with my Achilles. And I do find that the recovery time is a lot, a lot shorter when you're running in a a little bit of a a higher stack height with something that can absorb that, that impact. So I, I definitely agree that it's, it's better for the body. 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. That's good to know. So Elsa, as we near the end of this podcast, what does running mean to you? If you could envision your life without running, what would be missing? I think my life without running would be pretty empty. Not even if I, I can't run fast, I'm okay to, to slow down as I get older. But running is something that it takes me places, it challenges me. It's been a big part of my life. And I think I would definitely have to find something to replace it if I could no longer run. But hopefully it never comes to that. Exactly. Well, on that note, then, uh, what are you gearing up for at the moment? I mean, I know you mentioned Western States, right, is coming up. So is there anything else on your your radar that's getting you excited? Yeah, um, well, Western States obviously is my A race for the year. And leading up to that, I'm doing a 90k race, which is in Prescott, Arizona. That's going to be the end of April, Whiskey Basin. So I'm really excited about that one because I've watched the course on YouTube and it looks absolutely spectacular. And Aravay puts it on a phenomenal race. So that, cool. I'm really looking forward to that one in a few weeks. Are you ever going to drop down and do anything short like a marathon again? <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I've always liked to do at least one marathon a year because I find that I keep generally disciplined in the speedway. And I, I, I like having that. I like the structured training, especially at work, because that's where my quality workouts come in. And I don't like running on the treadmill and not doing intervals because it's really boring. But <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> it, I, it, part of the reason why I signed up for LA Marathon was because for two years during the pandemic, I didn't really do any structured training. So I lost a bit of speed. So it was kind of a, a getting me back to a little bit of speed work and, and road running and getting some some intensity back in my, my programs, um, especially lining up at the start line of Western States this year because this competition is unreal. So mm. <laughs> Yes. Oh, I can't wait. I'm such a geek. I follow that race all day. And now that they have such great, you know, live media coverage for the whole thing, a person can really feel a part of it. So we'll be cheering you on for sure. Thank you. Okay. So as we close this episode, we always have five rapid fire questions that we like to ask our guests. So let's start off with what is your favorite running mantra? Never stop moving forward. It was something that my girlfriend said to me when, she, when we did that first Ironman. She said, all you have to do is keep moving forward. It's not about who moves the fastest, it's who slows down the least. And never <laughs> keep the word spoken, especially when it comes to endurance events. <laughs> I had a client uh, of mine racing this weekend and her mantra going in was forward is a pace. <laughs> so it kind of reminds me of that. <laughs> I know I I got a big kick out of that okay next question is do you have a favorite place to run if you could just be plopped anywhere on the planet to go for a run where would it be oh my goodness I have so many favorite places to run I mean I love I love running in Arizona because the trail system down here is just absolutely amazing and I love running in the Rockies again the trail system in there is super amazing but it's also like the scenery in the Canadian the desert and the mountains (laughs) yeah interesting places to run in different ways um okay do you have a bucket list um race well utmb oh well utmb i've done but um to finish it obviously yeah yeah my bucket list is really long (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, luckily you have a lot of years left in those legs, I'm sure. So I hope so. <laughs> okay, next question. Do you have a favorite running book or running movie? Uh, book. I do a lot of reading about running. Um, Injure by Alex Oh, oh yes. yeah. Such a Classic. good one. What's your favorite? What was what stood out to you the most from that book? I think the first few pages where they started talking about the Nike project and breaking it all down. And oh yeah, yeah, yes, so fascinating, eh? Like there was just so many interesting facts in that book. I hundred percent agree. I think I've read it three times, <laughs> and I'm sure yeah, I read it. I should probably more. read it again. Yeah, every time I do, I pick up something else, whether mm-hmm. it be, you know, swishing your fluid in your mouth before you swallow it or <laughs> just some cool training idea. Yeah, it's a super good book. Smile. Um, yeah, smile. That one's huge. Smiling when you're in yeah. pain. <laughs> I will remember that in my next race. All right. So what is your favorite post-run indulgence when it's all over? Beer burgers. Oh yeah, no hesitation. <laughs> it's why it's I like, I've been waiting for this question. <laughs> Follow up question: At what point in the race do you start dreaming about beer and burgers? Uh, oh gosh, sometimes it's barely a ten k. <laughs> <laughs> Just getting warmed up. <laughs> well, you've been you've been so much fun to talk to. I knew we'd have a great conversation. If people uh, want to find you, follow you, uh, keep up with whatever you're up to, uh, is there a place you want to point us to? Uh, well, I'm on Instagram. Very simple handle, Ilsa McDonald Runner. Very original. Um, <laughs> I have a Facebook account, and Strava is probably my favorite social media hub. We'll link all of that up in the show notes. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us today, Elsa. Um, It's been great chatting with you and um, we wish you the best of luck with the 2022 run-up season. Thank you. It was great talking to you guys.